just want to acknowledge that we live and play and do our lives on the tra <coughs> traditional lands of the Stolo, Kwatlin, and Semiyamu people. And um, we are grateful. It's something that we're doing again um, that we had done a while back is we are interviewing people. And it's a way of us uh, getting to know each other a little better. And we've had actually really lovely responses um, doing this, even just in these few short weeks. So today we are going to um, be interviewing Amy. And she is, um, oh, uh, if I say it, then I give it all away. So Amy, are you unmuted? I, I think I am. Can you hear me? Lovely. Um, I just have to pull up my questions. Amy, oh, what's your name and where do you live and who and what lives in your home with you? Uh, my name is Amy Harless. Um, we live in uh, Coleman, South Dakota. We're outside of Sioux Falls, um, which is a pretty big town for, uh, for South Dakota. <laughs> 150,000, something like that. I mean, that's our, that's our big town. So uh, I go there for shopping. It's about 40 minutes away. Um, in my home, I have, uh, live with my husband, um, been married over 30 years. Uh, one of our children is still at home. Uh, my son's 23 and we have a very old cat that he nurses, uh, daily and, you know, he's the comfort for the cat. It's that's how it goes anyway. Um, so and then and then I have my cat, which my husband rescued from a grain elevator about nine years ago. And I made him my baby because then my husband went to he works in the military. So he was um, gone for school for five months. And it was like there was a cat and there was no husband. And so the cat became the baby. So I guess you I get to talk baby talk to Um <laughs> I think that was, I think you covered all the, I mean, it's, I say there's only five questions, but the first question actually has three of them in it. So, um, you know, I, I'm sneaky that way. Um, how long have you been a part of our Sunday morning gatherings and how did you find us? I found you because I was at SOT um, that year that John Bear was there and you and Bradley were there. And I think uh, Nicola told me you could, we could join your church online. And so um, it was a few months after that. I think I've only been coming like a year. Um, I went and looked at, you know, the uh, songs that I've saved and that was only from April. So just about a year. Wow. That's cool. Mm -hmm. um, what brings you the most joy in life? And like, when do you feel most joyful? Um, I'll end, I'll answer SOT is school of theology. We go for a week and, um, get to listen to teachers and live together and talk. And it's really fun. Um, quite a blessing. Um, okay. Joy. Oh, I feel joy when I meet Jesus, <laughs> Holy spirit. Okay. Um, there's been a lot of emotional healing in my journey. So those times are very joyful. I also feel a lot of joy when I get to talk about God to somebody. Um, I did counseling for about eight years and 
there'd be some moments of joy when there was a little inspiration, you know, teaching that. Um, so there you go. I, I can have it daily, but I don't do it daily. <laughs> Either one of those. So. <laughs> so what would, what would you like to be known for? And it, this is a value question, folks, like, what do you value? So then how does that attach to you? Yeah. Um, I thought about this one a little bit and I prayed about it because I was like, I don't know. I guess just uh, if I was known for being loving would probably be the best thing. Um, I'm definitely on a uh, journey of repenting of wanting to be known for being right. <laughs> loving is probably better. <laughs> I don't know if I'm ahead of you or behind you, but I'm definitely on that journey too. Um yeah. Is is there something we can join you in prayer about? Um, yeah, there's something it's been heavy on my heart for a while. Um to just know my identity in God more consistently rather than sporadically. It's been quite a journey trying to get there. And God's got it, you know but yeah that's a common struggle for lots of folks hey okay. I can definitely join you in that thanks Amy for participating with this and um you know folks if you if you're listening to someone's interview and kind of resonating somehow with their story or whatever and you would like to start a conversation with them or something like that, we can definitely connect you um, and, and get you, um, you know, speaking directly to each other. Because mm-hmm. um, I, I think that's going to be one of the benefits of this, one of the things that we want to see um, come from this. Thanks, Amy. I hope your mom shows up soon. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and we're going to move over to Sarah. Sarah's going to, yeah, actually, Sarah's just putting a little note in the chat. You can reach out to them right now on the chat out uh, to Amy um, and just say, hey, I'd love to, you know, connect with you and you can exchange your information there. We're going to move over to Sarah. She's going to lead us in a Visio Divina now. Let's be on the screen. Uh, Karen's just going to escape from the screen. Um, I was thinking we it's a bit it's a bit um, deceptive, really. No, that's not the right word. Anyway, I can't remember what the word is, but that we call our live services live is a bit funny. We should call them in person because actually our Zoom services are live too, and community is community, whether it's here with us here on in this space or whether we actually get to breathe the same air as each other just a thought I was having the other day there we are um that was for free um there is a tradition where a candle is lit each Sunday and the four Sundays leading up to Christmas it's called Advent um and then on Christmas Eve the Christ candle is lit um but before we get there we have some waiting to do We must be patient and start at the beginning. The first candle is the candle of hope. If you have a candle nearby, I would love you to uh, light one with me. So I have a candle right here. 
and I'm going to light it. So if you have a candle nearby that you can grab or light or reach out to, let's um, let's light them together. And um, I am going to remove my spotlight so that we can see everybody's candles. So if you have one, let's do it. So the first candle is the candle of hope. And we remember Jesus to put our hope in you, the one who loves us most and loves us always. Amen. All right, try not to burn your house down while, there's, while that's going on. Um, and then you can, we'll add to that and we'll have two candles, three candles, four candles until we get to the Christ candle on Christmas Eve. So let's just pause for a minute. I want to continue on the theme of hope. If you can see the sky from where you are, I would advise you just take a minute and look out. Look far. If you've been on Zoom a lot this weekend, it might be a good time just to take five minutes just to look at the sky. There is something wonderful about the hope of that distant blue. Just embrace the expanse of sky in this time that we have together. And I'm going to share an image which has sky in it and also other pieces. Also, that was the hope candle. Okay, so this is the image for today. So just take a few minutes to look at this image. Just let your eyes wander over the whole and see if your eyes settle on any part of it. As you look at that image, is there anything that you feel or hear or see that shimmers in it for you, that is the kind of sparkle, the glimmer that you see? Anything that you feel or hear or see, you can put that in the chat if you'd like to. And also as you're looking, is there an invitation in there? The reflection of the sun on the water, the reflection of sunlight on the water, yeah. Reflection of the clouds. The reflection of the clouds. This image, I received this uh, at sunrise over Mill Lake in the center of town here. Mm. And I love the fact that you can't see the town, mm. that that's right in the middle, but you can't see it. It was this time of year. You can see, you can see by the bare trees. The sky is pale blue with wispy clouds and they're reflected in the lightly rippled water. And there are two geese, if you can spot them in the middle, that are swimming and you can see their shape of their journey stretching out behind them, diagonally across the surface of the water. This image, I think it's probably dawn, speaks to me of hope. The geese are trail makers, the rippling water flowing outward, I can hear the lapping. The invitation is to dive in to God's love and acceptance. I feel like my invitation is just to keep swimming across the surface. And see how far you've come, darkness and light intermingling here. Yeah. 
I love even though the, the water is still, there's still movement in it. The image speaks to me of hope. The sunrise is a hopeful moment of each day because it's all ahead of us. We have it all to come. One of the names of Jesus is the day spring, the one who brings the new day, and he is the hope. So just take another moment, a few, few deep breaths as you're looking, and just see if there's anything else for you to see in there. And let's just pray together and I'm going to pass it over to Lando for communion. So God, I thank you for the new day. I thank you for the start of the new church year, for the hope that beginnings bring. We are waiting in the darkest part of the year right now for your day spring once again. So we say, come Lord Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining in with that. I love all the things in the chat. If you get a chance to read those and I didn't read them out I'm sorry I didn't get to all of them okay Lando over to you all right um this is quite a story the the uh last supper uh, starts off with the disciples came and asked Jesus, where should we celebrate the unleavened bread? I mean, the uh, the day in the days of unleavened bread, where should we celebrate the Passover meal? And, and Jesus said, go into a city, a certain man will be there. You probably know the story. And uh, the disciples followed Jesus' instructions to the letter. It says, I'm, I'm reading uh, from the Message Bible. Prepared the Passover meal. After sunset, he and the 12 were sitting around the table. During the meal, he said, I have something hard but important to say to you. One of you is going to hand me over to the conspirators. They were stunned and began to ask one another, is it, it isn't me, is it, Master? Jesus answered, the one who hands me over is someone I eat with daily, who passes me food at the table. In one sense, the Son of Man is entering into a way of treachery well marked by the scriptures. No surprises here. In another sense, the man who turns him in turns traitor to the Son of Man. Better never to have been born than to do this. Then Jesus, then Judas, already turned traitor, said, it isn't me, is it, Rabbi? Jesus said, don't play games with me, Judas. <laughs> During the meal... Jesus took and blessed the bread, broke it, and gave it to his disciples. Take eat, this is my body. Taking the cup and thanking God, he gave it to them. Drink this, all of you. This is my blood. God's new covenant poured out for many people for the forgiveness of sins. I'll not be drinking wine from this cup again until that new day when I'll drink with you in the kingdom of my father. They sang a hymn and went directly to Mount Olives. Then uh, Paul in First Corinthians says, 
whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So let's reenact this together and participate. This is my body broken for you. So take a bread or a cracker and, and take a bite. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. Take and drink. <laughs> A fellow named Mike Livingston wrote, We observe the Lord's Supper to, commemor to commemorate a past event and to anticipate a future event and to participate in the celebration of life between the two. Amen. So Kathy is going to uh, share with us today, and I will uh, turn the screen over to her and uh, uh, pray. So please join me. Oh God, our creator and provider, we come to you this morning, and we thank you that we can <laughs> gather in peace and joy. And I pray for Kathy now that she will know your peace, your strength, and your contentment as she shares her thoughts with us today. May we be good listeners and be alert to what is being said and be encouraged and uplifted in our understanding and knowledge of you, O oh God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Linda. Um, so the theme that I was given today is... Um, our Lady of Sorrows. And in my um, Christian tradition, churches that I've been part of, we didn't pay very much attention to Mary. And uh, so this was really new territory. I mean, I knew the stories of Mary, but I never studied them like I did these last couple of weeks. Welcome to the celebration of Advent 2023, Sunday number one. The little Advent book that we are using this year for four weeks invites us to focus our hearts on two things. First, the birth of Jesus, and second, the promise of Jesus coming again to fill the world with more hope, more peace, more joy, and more love. We have lit the candle of hope. Uh, the first candle four weeks preceding Christmas. And this week we will be looking at one aspect of Mary's life experience as Jesus' mother, and that is sorrow. In honor of her special role, Mother Mary has been titled Our Lady of Sorrows. Mary experienced many sorrows. Many people have found comfort in their times of sorrows through knowing her life and experience of sorrow. It's been interesting to imagine her sorrows, our sorrows, and the scripture passage today and connect those with any sense of hope, except for the last portion. Today's assigned scripture reading is this. But in those days, after that suffering, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, <clears throat> and the stars will be falling from the heavens, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then this part. 
then they will see the Christ, the child of God, coming in the clouds with great power and glory. Then, then they will see the child of God coming in the clouds with great glory and power after all of that horrible stuff. When we are troubled and low, God, please rekindle our hope. Jesus, you came, you come, and you are gloriously coming again big time. When I've thought of Mary over the years, my main feelings toward her have been gratitude for agreeing to carry and birth our Savior and respect for taking on this unknown challenge. After reading for a few weeks about Our Lady of Sorrows, in addition to gratitude and respect, I am feeling empathy for her and great sorrows for her, the great sorrows that she experienced as Jesus' mother. I will be sharing a few pieces of art during my talk. Surprisingly, I could not find the artist's name for most of these, even though I paid several sites a little bit mm -hmm. to digitally download them for this morning. Our Advent book says, many artists painted Mary in blue as an expression of devotion. She was, after all, Jesus' mother. She nursed him. She took care of him when he was sick. She whispered bedtime prayers into his ear, taught him the stories of scripture, and suffered the agony of losing him too soon. In both of these slides, I think that Mary looks quite somber, as if she is feeling and knowing more than just the moment. Now we will uh, go through the seven sorrows of Mary with a picture for each. Number one, her first prophecy, her first uh, sorrow was the prophecy of Simeon. Jesus was about six weeks old when his parents brought him to the temple. And at that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon, and he was righteous and devout, and he had been eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come. The Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby, Simeon was there. He took Jesus in his arms, and he praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace, as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations. And he is the glory of your people, Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about their son. Then Simeon blessed them. And then he leaned into Mary and said, This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall, many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. Ouch. The second sorrow of Mary was the flight into Egypt. I believe Jesus would have been about two years old when the wise men finally found him after their long journey. When the wise men had left, an angel appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. 
stay there until I tell you to return because Herod is trying to search for the child to kill him. Another sort of sorrow. The third sorrow of Mary is the loss of Jesus for three days. Every year, Jesus' parents, this is from Luke, every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. And when uh, when Jesus was 12, they attended again as usual. And after the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth. But Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was among other travelers. Relatives, cousins. They weren't bad parents. Jesus was 12. 12 12-year-olds hang out. But when he didn't show up that first evening, they started looking for him among those relatives and friends. And when they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious leaders, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents, though, they didn't know what to think. Son, said his mother, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic searching for you everywhere. If you're a parent, you can imagine that. But why did you need to search, he asked. Didn't you know I must be in my father's house? They didn't understand what he meant. And then he returned to Nazareth with him, with them. And Mary stored all these things in her heart. The fourth sorrow is seeing her son carry the cross from John 19. So they took Jesus and carrying the cross by himself. He went out on what is to what is called the place of the skull, also known as Golgotha. This is not actually recorded in the Bible, but tradition says or assumes that Mary saw her son on this walk with the cross. By this time, Jesus had been crowned with a ring of thorns, severely beaten, was extremely weak. He looks pretty tidy in this artwork, but Mary would have seen the worst. The fifth sorrow of Mary's is the crucifixion of Jesus, continuing on in John 19. And I have an artist's name for this one, Harry Anderson. Sounds Scandinavian. Um, There, okay, now they crucified Jesus and with him two others, one on either side with Jesus between them. Standing near the cross were Mary, Mary's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene, three Marys. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple who he loved, which is John, standing beside her, he said to his mother, who was already widowed, woman, here is your son. And then he said to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. It wasn't good to be all alone without a husband or a son to take care of you. And here's Jesus suffering, dying on the cross, and he says that to his mom. After this, when Jesus knew that all was now finished, he said, I'm thirsty. 
A jar of sour wine was standing there, so he put a sponge full of the wine on a branch of hyssop and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the wine, he said, it is finished. He bowed his head and he died. Sorrow number six, Jesus taken down from the cross. Imagine. Till now, at least Mary had been able to be there for her son. That was at least something that she stood with him as he suffered. Now he was dead and there was nothing she could do for him. With Mary's seventh sorrow, Jesus laid in the tomb. Still in John 19. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, asked Pilate to let him take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and removed the body. Nicodemus also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloe. They took the body of Jesus, wrapped it with the spices and linen cloths, and there was a garden nearby, the place where he was crucified, and in the garden there was a new tomb, which no one had ever been laid in. So they laid him in this tomb, and Jesus was buried. Mother Mary, those are a lot of sorrows. I have never thought of them all in a row like this. These experiences all took place after she carried Jesus in her body. Learning she was going to be pregnant before marriage, hoping that Jacob would believe it was a miracle, facing her community, traveling while ready to deliver. I would add these to the sorrows, or maybe my additions could be called extreme challenges, Mary believed, and then Joseph believed the angel's words to them. They believed. That's faith. I see their faith formed hope in them. Hope lived in Mary despite her sorrowful experiences. I'm assuming that there were some really good times in her life, like in ours. In our own world, there's quite a mix. Now, from these seven sorrows, I'm moving on to the subject of hope. Hope, what is it? It's more than an emotion. It is a belief that shows up in particularly difficult times, in very dark times, that things will get better. A short quote from Psych Central says, while hope certainly involves our emotions, hope itself is not an emotion. Hope is a way of thinking or a state of being. This means that hope can be taught. We can learn to be more hope-filled, and I believe we can help each other be more hope-filled as well. In ordinary life, this could mean that my, if my first effort to publish a book fails for lack of interest from the publisher, I can keep working towards that goal. I can try again. I can hope it's possible. I can hope it will happen. Another example, my hope, my uh, house is a terrible mess. I can hope that goal setting and increased effort over the weekend can result in marvelous improvements in order and beauty. My hope, my belief in the possibility sets emotion and plan. 
Having teenagers in the home speeds the way to success. I remember this. Thanks, kids. I miss you. Thanks, kids, for helping with those weekly house cleaning sprints. Having ordinary hope is helpful for motivation and taking action in, in many areas of our lives. Uh, studies that show Studies show that people with hope are less depressed, more healthy, and motivated to make the efforts to stay healthy. They will set goals to exercise, eat healthy, get outside with others, foster hobbies, and read books. I had to include that part because, you know, Lando. Read books, yes. <laughs> oh, it's important to make certain that in ordinary life, goals are actually possible. Wild, outer reach, impossible goals will, will result in low hope. High, realistic goals and persistence will lead to oftentimes rewards for efforts. How can one increase hope? Apparently, laughter increases hope. It's true. I read it in a psychology article online. My guess is that the brain chemicals feed, produced by laughter, feed hope. And that's as scientific of a theory as you will get from me today. <laughs> also, <laughs> there is this. Oh, I didn't mean to laugh. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> a cheerful disposition is good for your health. Gloom and doom leave you bone tired. That's from the message, Proverbs 17. Another way to uh, increase hope is the practice of gratitude. Even though gratitude is reflecting back on what already happened in the past, it does affect our view of the future. How simple would it be to keep a gratitude journal? I have been meaning to, and I have not started yet. I think there's one going in my brain, though. So that counts, right? Here's an example of darkness to gratitude to hope from my life. When Lana and I were newlywed, and we would have an argument. You're not getting personal now, are you? Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, uh, when we would have an argument, I would feel terribly hopeless because, number one, Christian couples should not argue. Number two, this is horrible and I hate it. Well, after several years of muddling around, not knowing how to work through differences well, we invested some fab invested in some fabulous counseling. And wow, what a difference a few good tools can make. Now, well, actually for a long time now, I can look back in gratitude for the skills learned and the emotional safety for both of us to discuss anything. So gratitude is in the books. And with hope now, we face conflicts with confidence. I'm like, oh, no need to fear. We know how to navigate this. Hope exists in this area because of past investments and success. Gratitude tunes our brains to the channel of hope. What does the Bible say about hope? Well, I think what the Bible does best is to point to the need for a solid foundation for our most important hopes. A solid foundation for our most important hopes. 
we can have a smaller and still very good hopes for ordinary living and life goals. And sometimes those hopes will not be achieved. And although that will be disappointing, it need not be the end of the world as we know it. Thanks, R.E.M. There can be another goal, another dream, if there is agency. Our most gigantic hope comes from it being deeply planted in our hearts by our eternal creator, who is always with us. I'm going to read that again. Our most gigantic hope comes from being deep, from it being deeply planted in our hearts by our eternal creator, who is always with us. This is the foundation of hope that cannot be shaken. We will weep. We will feel deep pain sometimes. We will grieve and encounter things in our world that seem beyond hope or, or maybe are beyond hope. Yet God is with us. Hope can actually grow in times of great darkness. I mean, when do we need it the most? When are we most aware of hope? When we are in deep darkness. Have you been in places in your life where your agency to fix what is broken and sorrow-filled does not exist? Have you clung to fragile, false hope that ended up hurting you in the end? In this world, there are such terrible troubles, both now and when Jesus was born of Mary. Wars, rumors of wars, sickness, racism, abuse. And then, all then, and horrifically still now, weak and false encouragements like, you got this, not knowing if they do, or God is in control, as, he, as if he chooses to be, that will not bring lasting hope if horrible does not get better. Where did Mary's hope come from? She was already a person of Jewish faith. She grew up hearing stories of God. It was the God she already knew who sent the angel to her telling her she would give birth to the savior of the world. She had only one question for the angel. How's that going to happen? Very good question. And then she moved on to accepting the challenging honor. Luke records a song attributed to her. It's called Mary's Magnificent. And um, I'm going to invite you to look for the anchor points for Mary's hope. We can look at it together. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked with favor on his humble servant from this day. All generations will call me blessed. The Almighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. He has mercy on those who fear him in every generation. He has shown the strength of his arm. He has scattered the proud in their conceit. He has cast down the mighty from their thrones, and he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent empty away. He has come to help the servant of Israel, 
for he has remembered his promise of mercy, the promise he made to our fathers, to Abraham and to his children forever. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and will be forever. Do you see those anchor points? What can we do for another who is short on hope? Listen, see, care, tell your own stories, pray. I'd like to talk about this question during um, our Q&R, if you want to. What can we do for each other when we're short on hope? Can we be, oh, this is personal and it's not an advertisement, but it's my experience. Can we be short on hope and still belong to the Bridge family? Not to diss any other churches, really, but I have been part of churches sometimes in the past who what you would hear up front or testimonies were from people who had been in darkness, who had been suffering. And by the time they speak up, they're telling what good happened. I'm, I'm, I'm well, I'm okay. I'm this, I'm that. And sometimes if you're not the recovered one, you may feel you don't belong. So that's what this is about. Can we be short on hope and still belong to the bridge family? A resounding yes for me. Come as you are. It is one of the best things I see in the bridge from experience. In closing, I'd like, and thank you, Bridge. Thank you. In closing, let's read together three rich passages on hope and the greatest source of hope. We put our hope in the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him, our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. Let your unfailing love surround us, Lord, for our hope is in you alone. But now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who formed you says, do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. I thought to myself, would it be legit to put my name in that quote? Oh, we have loved ones texting us here by the second. Okay. Um, okay. So I was thinking, would it be legit? So I tried it. I took out Israel because I'm not from Israel, but whatever. Um, Kathy, listen to the Lord who created you. The one who formed you says, do not be afraid. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, Kathy, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. I think it might be legit. It's not original, but I think it might be legit. Okay, and the last one. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Ultimately, this refers to the afterlife. But I say this, I have already known Jesus holding me and wiping my tears. 
we need not wait for that presence. That is now. I'm going to close in prayer and look forward to the Q&R. Dear God, thank you for Mary, Our Lady of Sorrows, and all the ways that her story gives us hope, even especially when our hearts are broken. Be with us this week as we walk through the shadows of suffering and light a candle of hope. Help us to notice the deep blue of the night sky just before dawn. And even though the stars may fall, guard us, guide us to a new world full of healing and glory for all in Jesus' name. Amen.